Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. Five, four, three, two, one. There's another world that awaits far beyond what we can see and feel. A place that's anything but ordinary. Somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. at ParanormalRadio.com. Sitting next to me, the man, the myth, the legend. Here is Travis Walton. And sitting right next to him is Jennifer Stein. Thank you both so much. Welcome to McMinnville. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Travis, how are you doing? Uh, It has been, what, almost 50 years since this event has happened. I believe that your perspective has probably changed of this event over time. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it has changed over time. Is for the better? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I've come up with a better understanding of what happened. What do you believe happened to you that night? It was late at night. You had worked a very long day out in the Sitgreaves Forest near 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 Snowflake, I believe, yeah. and um, and you were headed back in Mike Rogers' truck. And what did you see? Well, we saw a light coming through the trees. At first, it wasn't anything, you know, fantastic or anything. It was just, it was deer season. So, you know, we'd heard, heard shooting in the distance. So I thought maybe 
deer hunters were camped up there. The closer we got, the more that, you know, we could see the light was coming from higher up than the top of the hill. You got out of the truck. Yeah, as soon as we got around this thicket, you know, we couldn't see the, the hunter's tent or whatever it was, you know. It was just right there. I mean, um, see, some one of the crew yelled out, it's a flying saucer. I mean, it was unmistakable. It was less than 100 feet away. So could you see a craft or did all you see was light? Uh, we could see clearly defined a craft. Could you describe that for us? Well, it was a, a glowing disc-shaped object, mm-hmm. and uh, it was uh, making some very strange sounds. Uh, I thought it was going to be gone in a flash. You know, when we're driving through the woods and we see a, a bear, a mountain lion, or something, you know, you call the attention of the other uh, workmen, and they're lucky if they turn in time to even see it. So I just thought it would be gone in a flash, and so I got out to get a closer look thinking it would be gone but uh, this is an adult audience you had more balls than those other men in the truck right <laughs> more more foolishness <laughs> <laughs> more foolishness so do you have any recollection of, of being zapped and taken uh yeah uh it started to move uh, when i got close and so uh and and the sound got louder so i just ducked for cover mm-hmm. and that was down and forward to get behind this log and uh, they were screaming at me get the uh, you know expletive out of here and um i didn't need to be told uh, i was just you know but you didn't have time to <laughs> i was weighing the, de- the the value between uh the hiding behind this cover and and getting to safety uh i stood up to run back to the truck and that's when it hit me I think uh, that was the point at which my upper body was closest to the surface of this craft um, because uh, uh, the the log I was hiding from behind was down and forward. So when I stood up, that closed the distance. And, yeah. uh, and um, it was just this stunning force. Um, I didn't actually see the beam because I was unconscious instantly. It was, uh, they said it was so violent it threw me back and I, my body landed like a rag doll. Yeah. And, and they were screaming that, you know, he's dead. It killed him, you know. I, I think anybody would probably assume that. Uh, so then that brings in maybe there was a, maybe there was a healing going on. Uh, so I'm wondering if you had any scars or any burns on your body because if if you had been zapped by a beam of light or a laser or something, one would would expect you to have that, but not necessarily if they brought you back from the dead. Yeah, um, that was one thing. Um, my brother uh, uh, when he recovered me. Um, had the foresight to take the clothing I'd been wearing, seal it up in a plastic bag for forensic analysis. It wasn't uh, burned or shredded or anything, so whatever hit me wasn't destroying clothing, but I underwent um, some extensive medical examination afterward. Yeah. Jennifer, why the fascination as a, as a filmmaker 
with with the Travis Walton story. I mean, I think this one pretty much writes itself. Although y- your goal here was really to tell the true story, not the Hollywood story. That's right. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Travis, and I realized that the only film that had been made was one that Paramount made, and they fictionalized parts of the story, and that really frustrated and disappointed Travis. And as a documentarian, uh, it was just a gold mine of data and material. It had only been, at that point, 25 to 30 years in the past, and there was still a number of people alive. It wasn't like the Roswell story that was already you know, 50, 60, 70 years old at this point. There were many people still alive, and I thought it was important to at least try to get them documented on film, and I'm really very glad I did. We have testimony from people who are no longer alive now. Yeah. Uh, the chief investigator, uh, Sheriff uh, Gillespie, who is in the film, uh, we have also um, Deputy Ellison, and we have the chief uh, polygraph expert at the time, Cy Gilson, who all spoke in depth about their experiences and um, it was, I think, something that needed to be made for the future. Unfortunately, young people these days tend not to read, and they get a lot of their information from sound bites. And I thought it was an important uh, film to archive for the future. And Travis, you also had to f- feel pretty good about letting her make a, a film. Oh, it was perfect timing for the film because uh, she was able to get people right at the opportunity opportune time so many people were under political pressure earlier years uh, not to give their real opinion they were more political type replies but the sheriff was out of office uh the polygraph examiner uh was no longer working for the arizona state police and and so she was getting very candid reports from a lot of people that uh they might have been reluctant to express earlier yeah in fact, uh, both Deputy Ellison and um, uh, Mr. Gillespie, uh, Sheriff Gillespie, when we interviewed them, said, when you turn off your camera, we will tell you our own stories. And I was like, oh, wow. So, so they were they still being met with some sort of uh, you know, pressure not exactly. to speak. And I said, are you sure? Truth, I'll let you sign an agreement. We'll just save these for the future. Uh, can I just film you discussing this? It was like, no. If, if, if I didn't turn off my camera, they weren't going to tell me their own personal story. Okay, so what'd they tell you? They both, yeah, that's like, that, that, that could be a whole radio show in itself, but they both had more than one pretty incredible UFO encounter at close range. Uh, not anything like Travis, where, where they went missing for a couple of days, but very unusual things, seeing what looked like like bright fire dripping out of craft less than 10 feet from the ground, a number of other people involved, um, one Sheriff Gillespie drove through what he called some sort of force field where every where it was pitch black. It was the middle of the night, and he was following his niece. And all of a sudden, it became daylight um, when he drove over a certain ridge between Snowflake and and Holbrook, mm-hmm. and it freaked him out. It freaked his niece out. She almost had an accident and drove off the road. But it was suddenly bright daylight, and there was a craft sitting out in in the middle of the field near them, and they could both see it. That's not in her film. It's not. It's not in the film. It's on the radio, but, though, right now. But he, uh, Sheriff uh, he actually related it. the same story to my oldest brother, a, a Navy veteran. So, Vietnam. <laughs> so what is were, what is it meant for you, Travis? I mean, not that you needed anybody's stamp of approval on this, but to get some validation from you know high-ranking individuals. 
Um, yeah, it really did. Um, it's been gratifying over time how so much of uh, the validation and the uh, scientific research that confirmed things, I mean, like the discovery of the alterations of, uh, of the tree growth nearest where the craft had hovered, that wasn't discovered until in the 90s. So uh, a lot of the supportive evidence and and the detractors mm-hmm. like uh, some of the big skeptics that were like attacking the trance or or myself uh, were thoroughly discredited after they had passed away and uh, we obtained the FBI file on said um, quote debunker and uh, apparently the FBI didn't uh, think very highly <laughs> this guy had thoroughly discredited himself already with some uh, blatant falsehoods in an attempt to discredit what had happened. I don't think we mind the skeptics, right? I think we're all kind of skeptical when we hear about UFO sightings, abductions, especially things that haven't happened to us. But it it, it goes to a whole new level to debunk something, to look someone in the face and say, you did not experience that reality. It's like, who are you to tell me what I experienced? Exactly. You know, there's such thing as a healthy skepticism, and I think everybody should have some. But in the case of this one skeptic, he took a line that Mike Rogers had said and actually omitted the middle of the sentence and substituted three little dots called an ellipsis, you mm-hmm. know, to uh, reverse the meaning of what he'd said. You know, Steve had been offered $10,000 to deny it. And uh, he had just... He probably could have used the money. The fact that he didn't speaks volumes. Yeah, and so uh, he, he didn't. But when Mike had heard that Steve was offered and was considering the bribe jokingly you know he said well if you do that yeah if you take the money uh then uh, to even though you know what really happened and would do it just for the money then you'll be bruised well uh the debunker took the center out of the sentence even though you know what really happened and would do it just for the money he just took that out and said well if you you know take this money to say it didn't happen then you'll be bruised and saying see mike was threatening to keep him from confessing and it was the exact opposite i gotta respect you but why didn't you include those skeptics and those debunkers in in the film well i would have loved to but philip class whom he's speaking about has passed away in 2003 and we didn't really start the film till after 2013 so but we did spend 15 minutes on the subject of Philip Class and debunkers as best as we could. And that happens about right around the one hour mark into the film with Lee Spiegel from the Huffington Post. And of course, we have uh, Stanton Friedman uh, speaking about debunking. And the late Stanton Friedman. Stanton has dealt with debunking very well. And he had a lot of respect for what Travis had uh, dealt with most of his life and the courage that Travis had to stand up to these debunkers. He actually had a term for them, noisy negativists. Yeah. <laughs> noisy negativists. Travis Walton and Jennifer Stein, we're not done with them yet. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back here from McMiniman's UFO Fest to talk more about Travis, the true story of Travis Walton, right here from the McMiniman's UFO Fest in McMinnville, Oregon. Don't touch that dot. Into the
Live from McMinniman's UFO Fest, Travis Walton, Jennifer Stein with me here from McMinnville, Oregon. Okay, so Travis, the true story of Travis Walton, for those here in attendance in just over about an hour and a half from now, you will be screening that film. For those who haven't seen it, I, I saw it a couple weeks ago at the Kennedy School, and it, it is certainly highly recommended. It's not one of those washed-up documentaries that we've seen. They're probably The list is probably a mile long. Uh, and if you've seen Fire in the Sky, raise your hands. How many have seen Fire in the Sky? Okay, keep your hands raising if it freaked you out. <laughs> yeah, I think it had that effect on, on a lot of people. Uh, I don't know that you'll be necessarily as freaked out as fire in the sky, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't go see it. Right, Jennifer? Right, right. It's a classic, important documentary to see, and we've won uh, 28 film festival awards with it, so it's uh, an important yeah. film. Yeah, and that's that's not to be taken not to be taken lightly. So, uh, and, and these are, 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 as you mentioned, primary witnesses. Uh, not only you, but... Mike Rogers and um, uh, the law enforcement officials, uh, you know, people um, close to the investigation and a whole lot of positive evidence that, that wasn't even available at, back at the time. But um, many of the attacks that were you know, launched against me were of the same style as was, um, you know, leveled against the trends is just um, say something against it doesn't they don't have to support it just lay out some kind of stuff that that doesn't hold water in itself and those people who are looking for a reason not to believe something can uh you know have something to carry away to uh put it out of their mind and not not accept something they uh, didn't want to believe in the I first mean, place. I you're, mean, you're, you're not out here to prove to anybody that this happened. You know what happened to you, and that's all that matters. I'm here to share what happened and my current understanding, improved understanding of it, uh, in, in the uh, idea that um, to make some kind of good come from it. I was just going to add that debunkers' agendas is really only to cast doubt into people's minds, and that's pretty easy to do. And when you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you're trying to just really share the facts and you have other people out there casting doubt on you, it's um, it can be really emotionally life-destroying. And most of these crew boys who are I've interviewed for the film, all the living members of the crew are in the film, you see how this, uh, over time, this incident in many ways destroyed their lives yeah. and they never worked together as a functioning crew and um, their friendships were challenged throughout their life and they all had personal hurdles to overcome and um, I think that's what you really gain from seeing my documentary you get the personal side of the yeah. story Travis what are some of the misconceptions that you'd like to clear up uh, that's been out there about your story well, the movie, uh, you know, when I was uh, provided a copy of the script, they had removed the part aboard the craft completely because it departed so greatly from what had actually happened. There is one fictionalization that probably helped understand where the level of fear came from. The actor is shown with a membrane covering his face. He's struggling to scream through it, struggling to breathe through it. And I think that communicates the feeling of suffocation that added to my panic uh, that you couldn't get just seeing the actor breathing hard and looking uh, scared. Uh, um, so that was one fictionalization that was, you know, probably an improvement. But uh, there was there was a number of changes in that uh, film. But this this documentary that, 
the Travis documentary is the most complete uh, with so, so many of the central figures um, coming forward and discovering evidence that just wasn't available at the time. Does anybody have any questions for Travis? Okay, we'll check the Facebook messages and see if we get any of those, uh, and, and we'll pass those along. So stick with us. We'll be right back here from McMiniman's UFO Fest with Travis Walton and with Jennifer Stein. This is Into the Paranormal, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. There was a sighting. Evelyn Trent was outside tending to the rabbits when she caught a glimpse of the strange object as it tipped and just, I mean, really went. She yelled for her husband, Paul, to bring the camera. Paul and Evelyn Trent took a picture of a UFO seen around the world. They got pictures. Those pictures went national. One of the most incredible images of a UFO ever taken. And it really became one of the top UFO cases. In the backyard of UFO history, McMinnville, Oregon, the story continues. Into the paranormal. Sev Talk, who is author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens. She had alien encounters with greys that resulted in mysterious red X markings burned into her back from separate incidents. She actually just showed me these markings here. And so, uh, you know, that was kind of what made you a believer or, or got you started talking about it publicly it's what made me finally believe what's been happening to me since i was a little girl because i've been an experiencer since i was a little girl my first conscious memories of et contact are from the age 10 and uh for decades i had et contact and i just ignored it uh i would have missing skin, I would have marks on my body, I would see strange lights in the hallway, I would feel beings on the bed touching me, mm-hmm. and I would just ignore all of it. Until this happened? Until September 2017, and I just moved to the inner banks of North Carolina from Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C., and my second night there, I made contact with the Greys, and I had made contact with them before. And this was back when I thought the Greys were evil. I thought they were bad. I thought they were victimizing me. And I've completely changed my mind now. I don't see them like that at all. How do you view them? They were helping me. With? They were, I was, I decided, okay. I got divorced twice. I had two abusive relationships. I'm sorry. And after the second one, I thought, I think I'm the problem. I can't be mad at them. I'm the common denominator in both of these abusive relationships. Natural thought. So I'm not going to be mad at them anymore. I'm going to investigate myself to find out why would I take such 
crappy behavior from someone. And uh, I decided, all right, I'm going to go on this path of authenticity. I need to figure out how I can express the real me. Mm -hmm. And along that path came facing the ETs. And not everyone who is on their path of authenticity has to deal with ETs, but I did. And so in, in these X's, uh, I realized that what I thought were dreams were not dreams, because dreams don't burn two red X's on your tush. Right. And uh, I had to deal with it. And uh, in that process of understanding that, I realized, man, I have been hiding such an important part of my life for decades. The fact that I have come in contact with an alien is amazing. It's remarkable. And what I did was I chose to ignore it. And that is not good. These are the most fantastic experiences a human being can have. But society tells us you should be embarrassed, you should be ashamed, you got to hide it. And so I decided to come out and say, no, don't hide it. This is a remarkable event, and it's happening for a good reason. Uh, ET contact doesn't happen by accident. There's a good reason why you're having it, and what are you going to learn from it? What are you going to learn about yourself from this experience? And uh, that's why I am speaking out about it, and that's why I wrote the book to help experiencers and also to help society because we don't want to be shamed anymore. We don't want to be embarrassed anymore. This is very, very important for our humanity to understand this. Yeah. Well, digging deeper, uh, literally, I mean, you had these two experiences. How far, I mean, the markings, how far apart were they? Nine days. So you also had conscious memories of being on your side, almost in a state of paralysis, right? Yes. So the first ex, uh, <laughs> I was in my kitchen um, unpacking dishes because we had just moved and it felt like uh, something bit my butt and it hurt. So I yelled over uh, to the gentleman I was with at the time, I'm not with him anymore. I, I was like, Patrick, I think something bit my butt. Will you look at it? And he's like, yeah. So sure. I... <laughs> I'll sign up for that. Yeah. And so uh, I walked over to the living room, and I'm kind of giggling to myself because I think this is funny. And I pull my shorts down, and I bend over, and he's looking, and he's not saying a word. And I'm starting to get really nervous. And I have this gut feeling like, oh, my God, it's the grace. Because I had been in contact with the grace before. Uh, it was just the intuition. So I'm like, well, did a bug bite me? And he goes, yeah, there's a bug bite, but there's also a red X. And I'm like, a red X? And he took a picture, and we were both stunned. He's a very logical person, and I knew it was the Grays. And so I said to him, we're going to ignore this. We're going to pretend like we never saw this. And he's like, uh, all right. And so for the next few days, I tried to ignore it. But what I ended up doing was I was, uh, <laughs> I was walking around the house sitting on everything I could to try, like in the car, on the lawn furniture, everything, just going like this with my tush to see if there was anything that could burn an X through my pants. 
into my butt. Or maybe it was itching. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to scratch it. And I couldn't come up with anything. Uh, yeah. So nine days later, I came to in my bedroom. And uh, when, I come t- when I come to after one of these experiences, um, my eyes just pop open and I'm completely and fully alert. There's no grogginess. There's no going from sleep to going to awake. It's like, boom. I'm in my bedroom and I'm awake. And uh, I had this memory, this download, that I was uh, on this bed, like this hospital type bed, Mm -hmm. and uh, I was lying on my side, and uh, I couldn't move my arms and I couldn't move my legs, and I felt paralyzed. And I was in a strange room that was dimly lit, and I sensed that there was something behind me, and I could move my head. So when I moved my head right here was a gray and we locked eyes hmm. and uh, I was scared to death what color? scared to death uh, the gray the eyes the eyes well I describe it as looking into two pools of black oil hmm. it was like really flat like you really couldn't even look through it we're alive <laughs> stuff happens <laughs> and uh, I turned my head back around and ding I'm in my bedroom And I'm like, oh my God, if there's another ex on me, I'm not gonna be able to handle it. So I went downstairs and uh, he always got up before I did. Uh, But this time I got up first and I went downstairs and I just waited for him. I was really, really scared. And he came downstairs, I told him what happened. And he and I had had uh, a gray encounter in Roswell prior to this. So this wasn't new to him. And I told him what I remember, and so I asked the dreaded question, Patrick, will you look at my butt? And uh, he's like, Ugh. we both did not want to look at my butt. And so... Uh, <laughs> Maybe he did. <laughs> and so, once again, I bend over, and he's looking, and he's not saying anything, not a word, and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm praying, I'm praying, and uh, I'm praying that when I ask him if there's another X mark, he's just gonna say no, but he said yes. And then uh, it's really hard to describe when, um, I call it an existential crisis, because at that moment, I, uh, I was frozen, like in time. Like nothing existed except my utter confusion and the fact that this, is real and I've been hiding something for decades and um, I didn't know who I was anymore I didn't know what I was doing in the middle of the night talking with aliens I didn't know why they were messing with me because I thought they were messing with me back then I didn't know who we were as a human race I knew nothing it was like my fabric of reality was just pulled right out from underneath me and uh, I was overwhelmed, so I started to cry. And uh, he said, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And I had no answer. Uh, And when I calmed myself down, I said, I need help. And that was the first time in my life I ever admitted that I needed help. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know who was gonna help me. Where'd you go? Well. You didn't go to the ER. (laughs) <laughs> is there somebody who specializes in this type of stuff? Uh, no, somebody suggested that I do go. And I'm like, no. 
I'm not going to show the doctor my ass and say an alien put an X mark on me. I'm not exactly. Gonna. If you weren't red flagged at that point, you would be then. <laughs> right. This lady's crazy. She's off her rockers. Don't give her any meds. Yeah. Uh, so what happened was a few months later, one of my best friends, Elizabeth, who lives on the island of Maui in Hawaii, she said, Sev, there's a movie called Unacknowledged by Dr. Stephen Greer, and I think you would like it. So I watched it, and that lit something inside of me. And, and after it was over, I went to my computer, and I'm like, I, I have to send my picture to somebody, but I didn't know who. And I heard in my head, move on. And I had never heard of move on before, because up until this point, I wanted nothing to do with aliens. I would not look at pictures of them. I would not read about them. I would not watch movies about them. The cover of Whitley Strieber's book, Communion, completely freaked me out. I only looked at it once and turned it over and never looked at it again until a couple of years ago. I was so afraid of it, I knew nothing. I didn't even know what MUFON was. So I Googled it and then I found out it's a real thing, the Mutual UFO Network, uh, the largest UFO research organization in the world. And I saw a picture of Kathleen Martin. And I said, ha, huh, she's the one. She's going to help me. So I contacted her, and she wrote me right back because she had never seen an ex before. And uh, she was very generous with her time, and she helped me. Yeah. Uh, did the communion book end up helping you as well with your healing process? Well, I finally read it, I think, two years ago. And... Um, I, I, I can't say it helped me with the process other than me realizing I'm over the fear. So that was important. And now I actually have that book facing up. So it know, does have a significant impact on your life. Uh, in making me realize I'm not afraid. Yeah. Yeah, because before, whenever I would have to walk through the house in the dark, I always walked with my eyes closed like this, like just walking, because I was so afraid I was going to see an alien. But now I walk through the house in the dark with my eyes completely open, and I'm like, come on. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm not afraid. So just interested, did you feel anything else? Did you feel a presence when, when, the, when the exes showed up, or was it just like a, a burning pain, but, but nothing around you? There was no burning pain, and I didn't feel anything. I've had other experiences, too, where I felt the beings, but this, I didn't feel anything. If it wasn't for the X marks, or if it wasn't even for that bug bite, I wouldn't have even known the X marks were there. Well, he might have seen them, but I wouldn't have known, because when I ran my finger across it, I couldn't even feel it. And there are these nine perfect little red dots that are equidistant. I've had people measure them. Uh, and uh, uh, they went away. Can you show us? No, they're, they're, just, gone. Just they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. They're gone. And then the, the second one that appeared on the right cheek of my tush, the first one was on the left cheek at the tush, the second one on the right cheek, uh, looked just like the first one and it was directly across from each other. So they went away? Mm-hmm. Uh, how soon after the experiences? Uh, a couple weeks. Yeah. And I've had other marks uh, on my body too since then. But not X marks. Yeah. Uh, as far as the contact with extraterrestrials, you mentioned, I believe, a download experience. So were they connecting telepathically through, with you? Boy, they're, they're having fun out there. Uh, the information is always telepathic. It's always telepathic communication. And in my talk later today, uh, I will talk about how the information... Uh, 
from the ETs is either telepathic or visual, uh, often visual in the third eye, uh, and also like this instant download of information. Sometimes uh, the information from the ET comes in one way, or sometimes it comes in all three of those ways. All right, we're going to take just a short break, but we're going to come back more with Sev Talk because I understand that through these experiences, you, you've actually learned a bit from some of the ETs. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with Sev Talk, and we'll continue live from McMiniman's UFO Fest here in just a moment. So stick with us. Into the Paranormal. Here with Sev Talk, author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens, presenting here at the McMinimins UFO Fest in McMinnville, Oregon. You have the right to talk to extra or to aliens, but do they always talk to us or only to certain individuals? What do you think? Mm, I think anybody can talk to an alien. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the, these experiences are happening in what I call the playground of the consciousness, where all beings exist. And once you enter that playground and start playing around with the other beings there, you can come in contact with any sort of consciousness. Okay. And so, do you have tips, like, to enhance the contact experience from, based on your experiences? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, personal frequency has a lot to do with it. It's really important that you keep your vibe high. Uh, the, the quality of your personal frequency will determine the quality of the friends that you make on Earth, even the friends that you make in the other galaxies. So I do have a YouTube channel, Alien Spirit with Sev, and I created this series of videos, there's three of them, uh, to uh, help you raise your personal frequency. And at the end, I created a meditation, a guided meditation with my voice, and with high-frequency music to help you connect with other worldly beings, whether it's an ET or a spirit guide or a dead person. We can all do this. Through your contact, what kinds of messages have they communicated to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I help experiences around the world through my uh, work with MUFON and also my personal work. I have a website, planetsev.com, and I encourage experiencers to contact me and tell me your ET story, and I will respond, and I will contact you, and it's very, very private. I respect everyone's privacy very much. And uh, I, along with other experiencers, have been given information uh, that uh, has to do with science, innovation, the hybridization program, future potential events for humankind. And uh, these are really, and also spiritual information, self-empowerment information. And so the information that we're getting from the ETs is really for our benefit. As far as that hybridization program, did they give you any insight uh, uh, on how it works? And is that done through abductions, I'm guessing? I had a hybridization experience myself where I was shown a baby in a tube. 
uh, uh, floating in this tube. And his eyes were open, and they were the bluest eyes I've ever seen in my life. And I was really confused as to why I was looking at this baby in a tube. And I sensed that there was something behind me, and I turned around, and there were three grays, tall, medium, and short. And this was when I didn't even know grays came in different sizes. And they were nice. They said, we're just going to hang out back here while you look at this baby in a tube. Take all the time that you need. Uh, no hurry. And so I turned around and I looked at this baby. And I'm like, I do not know why I'm looking at this baby. I felt nothing for it. And then, ding, I pop back into my bedroom again. And I tell myself, I'm just going to hide this. And then a few years later, I'm in Roswell. I had a very unexpected trip to Roswell and made contact again. And they gave me information about the hybridization program. And, uh, and I talk about this in my talk. Uh, just very briefly, uh, they, they explained why they're doing it, uh, why they pick the people that they pick. Um, but I'm also interested in um, human interaction. I had an experience uh, with hybrid babies, and there were humans there. But these hybrid babies were very, very sick. And they were asking me to heal them. And uh, it seems like whenever there's humans involved, things just get messed up. So I don't know if there is a hybridization program with the greys and the humans, and then a different hybridization program with, uh, that humans are involved in with the greys. I'm not quite sure what's happening. I think there's a lot of different hybridization programs, and I really do think that uh, human beings are involved with some of it. Um, but because they're not as um, because they're not as advanced as the aliens, I think maybe they're creating these sickly hybrid children that I was asked to heal. Let's hear it for Sev Talk, ladies and gentlemen. Please come see her at three o'clock for you. her presentation here at the McMinimins UFO Fest. Do you have a website or anything you want to promote? PlanetSev.com. PlanetSev.com. SEV. Mm -hmm. We'll get those linked up in the show notes at ParaNormalRadio.com. Thank you so much for coming Thank here you. to McMinimins UFO Fest. More to come live coming up. sightings happen you know in their backyard without uh, even a no and 
here in McMinnville, of course, we have the 1950s sighting witnessed by Paul and Evelyn Trent. Everybody's seen the pictures. The pictures have been analyzed around the world. They've you know stood the test of time. And I think literally it is probably one of the most credible sightings, period, because the technology did not exist back then in order to fake and I've heard all sorts of analogies and and quite frankly I don't think any one of them could be possible does that mean it was an extraterrestrial spaceship we don't know will we ever know no can we assume that there was some intelligent control behind it perhaps because it behaved in a way in which could not be unexplained Continuing our live broadcast here from McMiniman's UFO Fest, we're joined by Cheryl and Linda Costa, who have put together the UFO Sightings Desk Reference, United States of America, looking at sightings from 2001 to 2020. We're talking about 167,000 sightings in all 50 states. Let's hear it for Cheryl and Linda Costa. Cheryl, it's been five years since you were on the program last. I know you've uh, updated your research. You were only looking at about 100,000 sightings then, but you've expanded to all 50 states. What got you started on this project? Actually, Linda, uh, we were working on, um, I was writing a newspaper column for the Syracuse New Times, okay? And it was a, uh, a regular weekly column writing about UFOs in a mainstream newspaper. And uh, at first, they weren't sure they wanted me to do, uh, anybody to do it. Everyone else had thrown me out of their office when I proposed it. And uh, we tried it out, and they came to me after four weeks and said, um, just keep doing what you're doing. I said, why? I said, you're pulling more page views than all of our columnists combined. Wow. So uh, we kept doing it for seven years till the paper went under. But, uh, but it, it, about halfway through it, we were starting – you have – People say, is it fun to write a column? It's a thousand-word turn paper every Thursday. <laughs> okay, so it, the issue is uh, we had to have something to write about. So I started adding up New York State since New York State was my beat. And our column was called New York Skies. And we started adding up the numbers. And we had some retired MUFON investigators look at some of our numbers. And they started saying, well, wow, we didn't know there was a cluster there. We didn't know there was a cluster there either. So we had done this. And one night in our pub, Linda and I were talking. And she suggested, why don't we do the whole country? And? Well, there are two... uh there, there may be government databases of sightings, but if they are, we are not told about them. True. But there are two private databases, the uh, MUFON, which people have talked about before, and New Fork, which is the National UFO Reporting Center. And this is where people can report their sightings, and we encourage you, to, if you do see a sighting, to, uh, to go there and, and record your sighting. Uh, but mostly people have been using, like the MUFON investigators use it for case studies, that they're looking at the inc- individual incident. And I spent my life as a scientific researcher and a scientific librarian, and so I know that there's always more than one way to look at an issue or a problem. And no one had been looking at UFOs from the standpoint of of the data as an aggregate. As you know, we live in the the age of big data. Uh, We all know that Google and everybody collects data on us, and they 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 manipulate this data and sell advertising based on it, et cetera. But nobody, yeah, really, such a (laughs) surprise, yeah. 
So, you know, but nobody had been looking at the, there was all this data from these two databases, and everybody was just looking at the stories. Nobody was looking at the fact that there's all these sightings. Where are they? You know, is there, can you look at them from a, a standpoint of where they're geographically located? Uh, you know, what are they near? Where, how are they, they spread across the country? And um, uh, she's the data analyst, and so I come up with the ideas, and she does the uh, statistical work, so it works out pretty well. I mean, some of these databases online, I mean, no disrespect whatsoever to those who run them, but they're kind of clunky. They're not easy to, to read. Uh, you can't necessarily always find the information well, we got down. We at. got permission. To, they, they gave us special downloads. They stripped out the stories and just gave us the date of who, what, where, and, and uh uh, where and uh, so we had to make the two databases compatible yeah. though because they weren't compatible and that took a lot of work. Um, what we learned how to do in 2016 that took us months to do, we can do in like a day now or a week now. Okay, so we've really refined the. Pr We're both former federal contractors. And the first rule of government contracting, do as little work as possible. <laughs> Be efficient, yes. Be efficient. So if you learn how to do something, document the snot out of it, and then uh, write yourself a procedure. So when we came back to do more data work, we already had a procedure there to, to, as a starting point for how to refine the thing. And we have tightened up that process many times uh, over the years where it took us 18 months to produce our first book, the one we interviewed about, 2001 to 2015, uh, 18 months worth of effort. Uh, we did the 2001 to 2020 in about a month, okay? And we and last year, we released a 50-book series, one for every individual state, and we released that over six months. So that's called refining methods engineering to the rescue. You know, so. If you go to Amazon and say, like, search UFOs in Oregon, you'll find the book for Oregon, which Cheryl and I will be talking about at our presentation. On in fact, Saturday. if you want the series, you just go, uh, whatever the name of your state is, say UFOs in, we'll say Oregon, and where to find them, kind of tapped into Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Okay. And all the books are named the same except with the name of the state. And you will find a book there about your state was detailed right down to the zip code and village level. So you also have to cross-reference some of this data, I'm guessing, when you're comparing databases, that there's not duplicates? We created, she created our own database, we really. We took the database. raw data from it's, Newfound and MoveFork, but she's added to it. Let's find out, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Oregon, what do the stats show for UFO sightings here in this state? That's kind of, I, I, didn't know we were coming here, otherwise I would have had a, a cheat sheet. Uh, okay, Oregon's in the top 20, I think top in the top 15, if I remember correctly, off the top of my head. I know that Portland is uh, in the top 10 cities for sightings. The Portland region is also in the top 10 cities from a terms of zip code for UFO sightings. We plot right down to the zip code. Um, and we did, uh, for the presentation tomorrow, we'll, we'll have uh, or in USA information, and then we'll have Oregon information. Uh, we'll be plotting a map uh, by zip codes, by counties. Uh, we do it uh, by the county that Miniville is in. Uh, is uh, Yamahill uh, Yama, uh, Yama. Yama County? Yeah. Uh, we do a map of that. We do the numbers for Minville. Okay, so uh, we we break it all down pretty solid for you, and then we show you the scale of what numbers. 
Uh, somebody around here earlier today had a t-shirt that said CSI on it, okay? Well, one of our slides says, follow the evidence, okay? And that's what we did. You follow the numbers. Many myths about UFOs and where they are and where they're not and all this stuff, a lot of folklore out there, but the numbers don't the numbers won't prove out what they're telling us. So, you know, you say so-and-so is a hotspot. We don't have any data on that place. You know, that type of thing. Okay, so it, the numbers tell a truth that a lot of other people might not believe because they believe something else. But we found out the five drivers for UFO sightings and we found out the five influencers. 7,000 hours worth of effort. Can you tell us what those influences and drivers are? Uh, okay, people will say Population. Well, yes, population is a driver, but it's not the sole driver. Um, temperate weather makes a difference. Northern states, most of it's in the July-August time frame. It gets to this middle, su middle southern states, that peak comes down, the rest of them come up. What's that quiescent level all year long? Dog walkers, smokers, and people coming outside from the bar or their shift and having a smoke after dark. Hours of darkness is, is a driver. Okay. Time of day is a driver. People will say to us about major cities having population. Oh, yeah, it's got to be around the major city. But if you look at them across a 24-hour period, the major city, yes, they have sightings all day long. But the rest of the sightings occur between 6 o'clock at night and not 11 o'clock at night. And that's all out in the suburbs, the bedroom communities, the unincorporated communities further out, and the rural communities further out in that county. A really strong one is the proximity to water. If you look at the, we have maps Influencer, that yeah. influence the, the, the maps. And we've had other people. We, we want people to use this data to do more research. Um, as a librarian, I wanted to get the information out there in a usable uh, form for for anybody who wants to do research on their area so you can get your book and see you know where where the things are and say okay well there's a lot of uh, sightings in this particular area what's there and one of the strong ones is how close it is to large bodies of water like we, we live in Cleveland Ohio and the they're clustered around the Great Lakes they, they like fresh water they like uh, California the long coast uh, Florida many has thousands a lot. in yeah. those states in those and, and you go 100 miles from the coast and, and it drops down. Low now, hundreds. I do, do want to emphasize we're, we're reporting on sightings. These are people that saw things. We, don't, we aren't counting how many actual UFOs there were. We don't have any way to do that. And uh, hopefully that's in the future. But we wanted to capture, uh, you hear a lot of it, oh, well, you know, Roswell and et cetera. You know, that was 60 years, 70, 70 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. You know, we live in the 21st century, and I wanted to um, uh, emphasize 21st century information. We're alive now. What's going on now? And we find out there's a lot going on, and we'll show you the national maps of, of where all this activity is. I'll give you a perspective. People said to us when our first book came out in 2017, why didn't you go back 40 years? They said to us, been there, done like, that. Like there's this perception that that's the golden age of UFOs. Okay? All right. So when we were coming out with the second book, we call it the pink book. You can ask us why. But uh, when we came out with the pink book, um, I didn't include it in our data, but we did a chart in the front. We got data dumped from both MUFON and New Fork, and we plotted just the years for 1960 to 2000. It amounted to... 15,156 sightings. People say, well, that's a lot. I've got that many in 2012, 2013, and 2014 each year. 
if that was the golden age, we are in the platinum or diamond age now. So, and you'll see that chart. You, you see all those little sightings for 60, 40 years, and then you see the 21st century. Like the, It's like this. It's huge. So that brings up the question, are people reporting these more, or are there more UFOs amongst us? Ah, okay. Now, another driver <laughs> point that comes up. Observer access to broadband. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There are 3,135 counties in the United States. 105 counties did not report UFOs from 2001 to 2020. Okay. 105 counties did not report UFOs. We tracked them down. They're rural. Most of them poor and have almost no rural broadband. So there is uh, somewhat of, of a connection. Also, I'm, I'm interested, and, and maybe a short answer here, and then we'll expand after sure. the break, because I know you looked at 2020, and then COVID happened. Do you have any sort of uh, analytical data, circumstantial data, yes. between now and then to indicate yes. that COVID sightings went up or down during yes. the pandemic when people were locked up at home? Yes, actually. Um, leisure time is a driver as well. Okay, remember I talked about the, so we were just getting ready to go into lockdown. I was on with George Knapp on coast to coast and some people said, well, wait a minute, we're getting ready to go into this plague lockdown. Okay. So May and April, boom. We'll pick that up when we come back from McMiniman's UFO Fest. Into the Checked in. Everybody's having a wonderful time here at McMiniman's UFO Fest. Let's hear it again for Cheryl and Linda Costa. All right. So before the break, I asked you about how how COVID has impacted things. I'll let you continue in length. Leisure time is a driver. So what we did was um, we knew we were going into this lockdown. So we waited to see what would happen. And March and April were through the roof. Because what were we doing? We were all dressed up, no place to go. We were either drinking or watching streaming television and that type of thing or sitting out on our decks and, and that's when people saw things. So the numbers were through the roof and that was unusual uh, compared to other years. Very interesting. Uh, so somebody brought up a point during the break here. Have you looked at sightings around the world, like expanding this beyond the United States? We can't get access to those databases. They're very localized and they either wouldn't cooperate or they were in other languages and they refused to translate them. So we didn't bother. Do you suspect, though, that the same phenomena has manifested other places? We just have nothing necessarily to quantify that in numbers right yeah in fact I've, I've been able to do some estimates based on numbers i've seen from canada to compare ratios wise and i've got a formula that i i've figured out we're probably averaging we're in the united states we have like about 23 a day probably worldwide we're probably running about 100 to 150 daily in the in the world so what the heck are these I have no idea. They're unidentified. They're unidentified. <laughs> you know, that's sort of part of the definition. I mean, we uh, we, we we talk about, and Cheryl addresses in the presentation, you know, uh, how many, you know, could be real. And if you, you know, cut out 70 to 90% of the, the data and say that it may be invalid, you still have very strong numbers that, that come out to one a week. Was it yeah, we, we can give you an example. If we take 70% of the data and throw it away, keep 30%. It works out to two, over 20 years, 
it works out to 210, and those are the real starships, 210 starships a month for the last 240 months or 20 years visiting the United States. Now, the skeptics will say, oh, no, it, it's got to be rarer than that, Cheryl. And so, okay, I'll throw 99% of the data away. It still works out to seven starships a month every month for the last 240 months the last 20 so years it's constant it's not just a, a visit here or a visit there it's like seemingly all the time it, yes it's regular traffic i mean yeah. i think that's our point is that we we want to drive sort of grassroots disclosure that you know people are seeing these all there's only 105 counties in the whole united states that hasn't reported anything you know, if you look at our maps, they're all filled except for a few blank spots here and there. And it's just, I think that, uh, I mean, we talked to somebody on the plane the other day. People are just not aware of how much information there's out there, how many, how much people, Amer the American people know about this. And that I think that the, um, uh, the politics of it, that the government is underestimating the intelligence of the American people and the ability to understand these types of phenomena. Something we also do in the presentation besides just the highlights and everything at the end towards the end of the presentation we go through a whole bunch of slides we show every single state by zip code and what the what the print what, what the map looks like for every single state we click through them pretty quickly and then we take each of the ufo report shapes whatever shapes they are and we show you a usa map and we show you where they were for 20 years okay why did you call it the pink book Pink book. Back in 2019, there were people talking to us about Senator Rubio going to try and get a bill attached to some continuing spending thing. We didn't know it would be COVID, but we thought it would be military spending or something. And they said, would you, you've done, you ladies are the only ones have done the statistics. Would you be willing to testify before Congress? Now, we were contractors. You worked your whole career not to testify before, before Congress, Congress, right? You know, we said, okay. That's to be avoided, yes. Well, yeah. So we said, okay, yeah, all right, fine. If it happens, we'll serve, you know. But then it crossed our mind. We want, we know what congressional hearings look like, and we wanted people to know that thing was made by a couple of ladies, okay? So we decided to make thought. it bright fuchsia. We'll be right back with Cheryl and Linda Costa from McMiniman's UFO Fest. here on Earth that has that kind of technology. Unidentified aerial phenomena are a potential national security threat, and they need to be treated that way. The U.S. intelligence community has no evidence those mysterious flying objects are aliens, but they're not ruling it out. A much-anticipated U.S. intelligence report on UFOs has finally been released, and really it's leaving us with more questions than answers. And it shows just how dangerous it is to ignore things we can't figure out. Into the paranormal. Whatever it is, something's going on in the skies, and we're here at McMiniman's UFO Fest talking about it right now with Cheryl and Linda Costa, authors of the UFO Sightings Desk Reference, United States of America, 2001 to 2020. All right. Did you have anything else to say on the, the pink book? Nope. That's it. Oh, that was it? That was it. Okay. 
I want to ask you about the clusters because I know that that what you guys have done has been very valuable to UFO researchers who may not have the time, may not have uh, the databases to really put this all in a particular area. And through that, we can learn a lot about this phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the one thing that helps is the, the pink book will get you through the statistics for your state and down to the county level in each state. Our new individual state books will get it drilled down to your local zip code and, and village level and uh, give you an idea. When you look up, you'll see your county, your zip code, your town or village, and it will tell you list all the shapes that were seen over 2001 to 2020 across the page not the actual locations but the the dates or the years that they were there and how many uh, we had a question from the audience regarding telepathic communication uh voices voices in the head uh do you have any thoughts on on telepathic communication anybody who's been married a long time has a relationship <laughs> with their spouse okay i hear her she hears me Okay, that's just the way it is. But that's not our area of expertise. <laughs> it's not our area of expertise, but one of the things that comes up a lot frequently, I'll say, you know, we should da 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 da, and she'll say, funny thing about that, and yeah. she had just thought that a minute ago. Yeah. Okay, or she'll think something she wants, and I go out to the kitchen and get it. Okay, uh, it's nonverbal. It's an impression. Sometimes it's visual. Uh, my personal thought on, on telepathic communication, and, and specifically the question was, is it something that people feel or is it something that people hear? All of the above. I, th I think it's both. I think that it, it's a gut feeling. I think we get that about a lot of things in life is we just get our gut, and so that's more of a feeling. But I do think that sometimes people are hearing it but not audibly, if that makes sense. No, it's a knowing it's annoying. And I lived in a Buddhist monastery for seven years. So the concept of being connected to everybody, everywhere, every when is very real to me. Cheryl and Linda, any final comments here at UFO Fest? Come see our presentation tomorrow. It will blow your socks off. All right. What time tomorrow? Uh, Morning. 9.30. 9.30. 9.30, Community Center, a new approach to ufology, measuring the scale of the phenomenon. Let's hear it for the Costas. Thank you. <laughs> And a perfect transition into our next guest because uh, Earl Gray Anderson actually wrote the foreword for this book. And Earl was just on my program a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so we really had uh, an opportunity to talk really in-depth, didn't we, Earl? It was a really in-depth conversation, more in-depth than we're going to have uh, in the time allowed here to get into. But he is the state director for MUFON for Southern California. He's a chief field investigator, member of MUFON's STAR team, executive committee member of the Experiencer Resource team. Welcome, Earl Gray Anderson to Women's UFO Fest. <laughs> How are you doing there? It's good to see you again. Good to see you here as well. We just talked a couple weeks ago. It, it is. We had, we had two Jer Jeremys on. Absolutely. That's kind of rare. confusing. Yeah. And yeah. an Earl which, Gray. Which Jeremy one, Jeremy two. And yeah. <laughs> we, we talked about uh, that program. I, I named it Overwhelming Evidence because I think the evidence is... Oh overwhelming you can choose to believe what you want to believe but you can't say there's no evidence out there no, there's plenty of evidence and you know because you've closed how many cases through MUFON over 900 at this point if you if you if you tally in the the, the ERT cases experience or resource team cases it's well over a thousand cases that I've I've 
personally investigated and closed for MUFON. And uh, the, the, the evidence is overwhelming. It is overwhelming. Are any of those experiencers going to be part of upcoming congressional briefings or hearings? They're, from what I am hearing, uh, they're just kind of ignoring the whole experiencer phenomena, which is, you know, kind of my, my recent tagline is, has been, what do you think they're here for, to do air shows? You know, I mean, they're not here to just to show off, you know, cool technology like you'd go and show off your hot rod or something. They're, they're, there's something deeper going on, and there's concern for humanity, I believe. Uh, I think that there's a lot of, you know, I, I notice a correlation between people with a military background. Now, this seems to run in families. And an overwhelming amount of the people that I speak with that have had extraordinary uh, encounters, face-to-face encounters with beings, uh, it, over and over again, I'll hear, oh, my, my father, by the way, was in the U.S. Air Force and, and did some work with Project Blue Book. Uh, there's one case I'm, I'm working on right now that, that, that the father was involved with, with Project Blue Book. And, and this was his children. Uh, and his wife, but they wound up having uh, four hours of missing time, the entire family. I mean, the house flooded with light, anomalous light. It began with them seeing uh, like a blue fireball that crashed into a horse pasture that was in front of their house. Mm. Uh, It was like church property across the street. And, you know, the father was just kind of thinking, well, it was a, a meteor, you know, strike, a, you know, scientifically minded guy. But then they started hearing this weird caterwauling sound that was coming from the lot behind their house. They called the police out. The police came out with their spotlights, didn't see anything. Police left. And again, they're hearing this weird screaming sound like somebody was like a child was, was in pain or being tortured. Um, so finally, the the middle son and the father, they went outside. Uh, the house was built sort of under an embankment. So they went up the driveway to where they could see the whole area behind the house, a two-story house. And they go outside, and there's two of these blue fireballs, like the size of a beach ball, uh, that were hanging over their house. And then they watched as these things just took off and again slammed into the embankment behind their house this time. Um, they, the father at this point knew what was going on because of his background, that this was not a meteor strike. This wasn't their imagination. This was some, that they had been targeted somehow. So they go back into the house. They're, they go up into the parents' bedroom, which was upstairs, so that they could have a better look at the area behind the house. And their house flooded with light. Uh, the last thing that the main witness's wife said was, was, oh, my God, I'm being probed. <laughs> now, th- then all of their memories are, like, blanked out for four hours, four hours that they, they can't account for. Um, the, the middle son, he found himself pacing back and forth in front of his bedroom door. Um, I mean, it was just the strangest, strangest case. But it was military again, you know, and 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 it, it seems like our our visitors seem to have a deep uh, a concern. I think it is about humanity's propensity to war with each other. 
um, I think that there's a question that you know that we have uh, a, that we have the ability to feel compassion. We have the ability to feel empathy, but yet we can go and we can attack other people and another nation. You know, which is more or less kind of correlated murder. <laughs> you know, you're ordered to go out and do this. But uh, I think that there's a big question mark about humanity that's, that's in our visitors' minds, and that this is why perhaps the military families are sometimes treated differently, a little bit more aggressively, maybe. So why, if these are extraterrestrials, why would they want to visit us? Oh, I... I'm kind of a, a dimensionalist. I, I'm not sure that they're... I think if they're coming from other planets, but I think that they're coming from other dimensions as well. Um, we find uh, experiencers, no matter what their background, uh, no matter what race, what creed, what religion, what political leaning they may have, um, experiencers are left with four messages telepathically given to them. Number one, war is, is wrong. Number two, nuclear war is very, very wrong, and it affects the whole universe when mm -hmm. you do this. Um, and, and number three, stop using the world as your garbage heap. And number four, elevate yourself, raise your vibration. Uh, the, and I think that you know, it comes down to that we're, we, we, our technology is way up here, but still we're acting like Genghis Khan in a band of, of marauders. And I, I think that there's concern about us. And, and I think that our visitors, and this is just a gut feeling, but I think that, that it comes down to that they want Star Trek, not Star Wars. And I think that there's fear that we're at the point now where we're about to really enter the space age. You know, with talk of going to Mars and, and colonizing and all this. Well, we're bringing our bad behaviors with us. And I, I think that we're being checked on that. And that they're, they're hoping that we can actually change ourselves. That, you know, we can elevate ourselves. You mentioned the nuclear weapons. And we heard of some very classic events about 60 years ago with Malmstrom and, oh, yeah. and Minot Air Force bases of yes. UFOs flying over. And then the nuclear weapons being disabled. Do we know if that is still happening? Um, I have not heard of any contemporary stories that are that are, you know, synonymous with what Robert Solis and and the other gentlemen. Uh, Maybe they realized we were not going to listen. I don't know. We were Maybe not they're not being reported. Is my guess. Uh, my my feeling is it's still going on. We still find. Uh, so so many of my cases will come from uh, just outside of a military base, or, I mean, I've had you know soldiers that have been abducted from their barracks, mm -hmm. and and uh, oftentimes some in some of these cases, uh, I, I've I have one uh, gentleman who was abducted from his barracks some years back. And it was almost threatening the way that they treated him. They told him, well, we took you, we've paralyzed you, and now we're going to take your soul. I think if they wanted to see how he would react, was he going to react violently? Was he going to... Well, he, he wound up praying. <laughs> and, he, and, and, he, and, he, and he was... We reacted in a positive way. He suddenly found himself back in his barracks. Uh, the, and, and he had... The, the, um, he still had encounters with his beings but they seem to be more positive like you'd find himself actually operating a ufo and, and flying over a military base and and i've heard that story many many times for many different people so I, but i think that that initial 
contact episode is where they find out what the person's motives are, where where their head is at as far as, uh, you know, are, are, are you violent or are you compassionate? You mentioned one of the military sightings. Do you have anything to base this on or is it a gut? And it's okay either way. Do you think that the majority of these unidentified craft are military? Are they another country? Are they like a private entity that's not military related in this country or are they extraterrestrial? Or is there another possibility? I, I think all the above. I, th- I think that we have our UFOs. Uh, I would hope that after over 70 years since Roswell, that some of the reverse engineering work that we've done has, has borne fruit. So I do think that we probably have anti-gravity and some of, some of these abilities ourselves. But uh, I believe that the majority of what we're seeing is, is probably extraterrestrial or, or interdimensional. Okay. So do you think that uh, our military, our government, knows far more about this than they're releasing? Yeah. I think that they definitely. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you know a little bit about my own background. My mom uh, worked for officialdom. Uh, she, was, uh, she was a secretary for Howard Hughes yep. over at Hughes Aircraft. And that was where I first got uh, my disclosure, was when I was five years old, my mom thought that I was young enough that she would be able to tell me her story, but that I'd forget it. Yeah. And to her horror, I kept bringing it up over and over again. But her story was, you know, she talked about working in a deep underground military base, like a city under the desert. This was back in the 1950s. And then she sort of addended that information with, oh, and by the way, UFOs and, and aliens are a real thing. We already know this. Um, but my mom said years ago that they're never going to tell the public. They're never going to tell the public. They're afraid of how the public's going to react. And, uh, well, you know, I mean, all you have to do is turn on the news or read the newspaper and you see people, you know, taking pot shots at each other and, and, and just uh, there's... Uh, bad reaction with just human life now if you bring aliens into the equation i mean people are going to feel threatened by that um and especially they're not going to i don't believe that the government is going to reveal anything about the experience or phenomena more with earl gray anderson right after this from mcminimins ufo fest (laughs) hope that wasn't too much Almost behind us. It's another wonderful year here, the McMinimins UFO Fest. So glad to be kicking things off. Certainly the festival is only getting underway, and we've got lots of great events coming up. Earl Gray Anderson is with us. He is the state director for Southern California, along with many other titles for the Mutual UFO Network. You mentioned the missing time earlier, and I'm wondering through your studies, have you found that to be a common element? It's very common. Yeah, people will have missing missing time and missing memories. You know, people's memories are, are oftentimes wiped. I mean, I, I I'll 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 talk about this during my presentation tonight. But a lot of people, I mean, when you poke at the phenomena, you can't be surprised if it pokes back. And a lot of us have had experiences ourselves. And and my wife and I 
had like what we call our weird week where there were three different incidents uh, and I had actual I, I kept my memory of, of the entire thing I believe I mean it took about 20 minutes uh, the experience that I had with beings uh, but my wife uh, uh, she had an experience as well on the third night our, our house again flooded with light and there was something over our house shining what was like God's own spotlight down. My wife and I had a telepathic moment where we were told something telepathically, probably from whoever was in the craft, but, uh, but my wife doesn't remember any of that. She just remembers the house flooding with anomalous light. Thank God she remembers that or she'd probably think that I was completely nuts. But uh, we, we find that a very common thing, that people will have their memories wiped of, of their encounters. Speaking of people thinking you're nuts, I'm sure you, you, <laughs> deal, with, <laughs> I'm sure you deal with that in, in MUFON reporting. Is you have to convince them, look, it's okay to come, come forward and share your story. And we don't think you're nuts. Yeah, yes. I mean, that was a big thing for me. Uh, when, when we had our own experience, you know, when the phenomenon became personal, who do I talk to about this? I mean, a lot of the people I knew from MUFON at that point, this was eight years ago, uh, were, were kind of nuts and bolts about the phenomenon. And, but yet this thing literally reached out and touched me, you know? I mean, it was, it was a physical and, and a psychological experience. Um, and that's, that's where the ERT comes in really beautifully. I mean, if any of this sounds familiar to, to you guys, whether you're here in the audience or out there listening uh, to the radio show, if you go to MUFON.com, it'll have two buttons that you can click, report a craft or report uh, beings. And if you have had an encounter with, with uh, anomalous beings, you click on that one, and someone like myself or like Sev will get back with you, and, and we'll believe you because we know it's real. Uh, you know, it, it's a very, very real phenomenon. And there's some place where you can talk, where you can have an unjudgmental listener uh, to tell your experiences to. And we find there's catharsis and hope for people when they can do that. Question about crop circles. We appreciate that. How do crop circles enter into this? The messages that we have seen in them, eyewitnesses of crop circles uh, reporting formation. Uh, what or who makes this kind of technology? Um, I, I heard that it's almost like if you were to fly a giant microwave oven over a field, uh, that there is something that physically happens to the, the reeds or whatever the crop is. Um, where there are people that do human-created crop circles just by stamping on boards and doing it that way. But we find that the anomalous ones are, are, are it's like the stock has been bent. And it's, it's, a, it's very different. Uh, as far as what their purpose is, uh, there's a lot of different ideas on that, and I haven't really settled on, on one. I'm kind of open to it. I've heard their bilocation marks, uh, something like that. Final comments, Earl? Um, just come and hear me uh, at 7 o'clock tonight. I, I've got, I, I'm going to give you guys the Everything Bagel pre presentation. I'll talk about my mom. I'll talk about our own experience as well as... Everything except cases. what you've been sworn to secrecy not to reveal, right? <laughs> I have not been sworn to secrecy 
except morally. I, there, there are things I won't tell you. That All right. Could hurt another person. Earl, it was awesome to talk to you. Earl Gray Anderson, Thank let's hear it so for much. him. Let's hear it for you. You've been a wonderful audience. We appreciate you coming out here for Mick Miniman's UFO Fest. Can't wait to do it again. I think they're going to have us uh, next year, and it's thanks to you and your support and everybody listening in Radio Land. Fantastic. From the cold, dark depths of a secret... Wait, I'm not in the dungeon. From McMiniman's UFO Fest, I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between abnormal and paranormal. Thank you all. Good night. God bless. Thank you. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.